Hello and welcome to the Blockade Runner podcast number 234. My name is John. Joining me this morning is Ryan. What's up, Ryan? Hey, good morning. Good morning, Ryan. We are on a uh, time crunch today. We have so mm-hmm. many things to talk about and um, we're, we're on a schedule. We, uh, we have a hard out here coming up. So I'm not even going to talk about the fact that there's snow on the ground at Blockade Runner headquarters for the first time. We're going to dispense mm. with the... Uh, the pleasantries and the talk about the weather and whatnot, and we're just going to get right into it. So um, let's start by talking about a um, surprise development that dropped yesterday on uh, uh, Disney+. Plus. Earlier in the week, we heard that uh, Studio Ghibli was, um, well, they teased uh, Star Wars and uh, yeah. Studio Ghibli teased a collaboration, like a sh- super short video with just both logos in it, and uh, everybody was freaking out, losing their minds, right? Uh, shortly mm-hmm. after... Rumor started to make its way around that it would be a Grogu-themed or Grogu-focused short um, released um, on Saturday of this week. Uh, what mm-hmm. was that? November, I don't know, 3rd? No, no, no. November 8th, November 10th. <laughs> 12th. What, what day is it? November, no, it, was it was yesterday. It was November 12th. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know where I am or what's happening, but um, November 12th. Yes. So, uh, Ryan, you are... I'm more familiar with Studio Ghibli than I am. I've seen a few Studio mm-hmm. Ghibli films. I have a Studio Ghibli uh, fan living in the house with me here in my uh, in my older son. And uh, many of my nice. students really like Studio Ghibli stuff as well. So mm-hmm. um, I was excited about it because I know they do good work and because, um, like I said, I, I know a lot of people who are, are super into it. But Ryan, I know you are more of a Ghibli guy than I am. So tell us, what did you think of Grogu and the Dust Bunnies? Yeah, I mean... Well, I think, you know, their (laughs) expectations were wild when uh, Mm. Ghibli uh, tweeted the Lucasfilm logo. Um, I know my expectations became uh, very unreasonable very fast. Um, And then I think it was actually really good that that the rumor that it was just like a short about Grogu. Um came out like pretty quickly um yeah because that helped me uh temper my expectations because obviously the thing i would want is a full-length star wars film by uh studio ghibli uh now do you think that's out of the realm of do you think that's out of the realm of possibility because they you know released this grogu and dust no i I think out of the realm of possibility uh, but i think it's possibly more likely now um but the the thing we got yesterday was not a full-length star wars film it was like a a three-minute short um that hey can uh, i can i bring out can i bring out a a term that uh that we used to we used to toss around here in mm -hmm. in star wars land tone poem Mm -hmm. almost something of a tone poem you know what i mean like it was a a very short little uh it's narrative but barely narrative you know what i mean yeah, I mean, I'll also uh, I'll I'll see your tone poem and raise you um, an anime term from the '90s, uh, uh, OAV or OVA, um, original video animation, uh, which were okay. just uh, during the Jap- Japan's uh, economic uh, boom and bubble in the late '80s, early '90s. Uh, Companies would make things that were not a TV series. They were not a uh, film. They were um, just like super high quality animation 
um, that, that were like shorts, uh, basically, and released on video. They're, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, just uh, in incredible production values, but like not really like a, a large story. Um, but yeah, the anyways, w- we would just call this like a short now but um yeah yeah. um this is uh yeah it was very i mean it was it was gorgeous um Mm -hmm. it was you know um you know it had just a great vibe to it um it was you know entertaining cute sweet uh it was just a nice little a nice little thing to exist um and you know as a massive fan of um, Star Wars Visions. Um, I'm, you know, really, really stoked to see um, Lucasfilm continuing to collaborate with, um, you know, the best animation studios in Japan. Yeah, for sure. Um, I. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because people were talking when the the announcement tweet or the the tease or whatever you call it, the the little video tease of the two logos came out. You know, people like, oh, I bet it's visions. I bet it's visions. And my um, my kind of stated thing was like, oh, well, no, it's not going to be visions because like this is they're hyping it up too much for it to just be like one of the visions um, segments. You know what I mean? Because mm. it's like, I don't know, you're setting number one. It's kind of like throwing shade on the other, not throwing shade on, but it would I feel like it would like undermine a little bit the other studios making mm-hmm. visions stuff to like make such a big deal of studio Ghibli doing one, if it was just one of the things that they were doing. And I was like, I think it's gotta be something bigger than that. And uh, in uh, a lot of ways, it's yeah. actually something quite a bit smaller than that, but, um, mm-hmm. but still cool and unique. Uh, but all that being said, like, uh, you know, we have no idea. I don't think there's any way to, to know or, or really make like a very um, informed sort of guess about what's, what's happening. If anything else is happening with Lucasfilm and studio Ghibli, but I will say like, this seems like such a, tiny little thing that it would not surprise me if this is just them getting the ball rolling you know like we just started Mm -hmm. collaborating we're just like oh we're we're just in the like the the blue sky phase just putting ideas out there just Mm -hmm. and you know somebody and they put this thing together real quickly and why not release it as a fun little thing on disney plus to me it doesn't necessarily mean this is the only thing they're doing in fact i almost feel like it's i don't want to say evidence of but it it certainly Mm -hmm. could be evidence of a whole bigger collaboration that they're just not ready to reveal yet. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's I mean, that's, for. yeah, that's, um, you know, kind of, I said the same thing earlier and, uh, something, um, you know, I've said on this, um, show before, um, is I really think that, um, like a Grogu animated series is something that would be huge. Um, if it was like done the right way. And, um, Mm -hmm. and I think there's kind of like two routes to go with that. Um, And because like Grogu is huge with kids. I, you know, I, I teach in elementary school and um, Grogu is huge. And I think uh, most of those, uh, you know, first and second graders who have like all this like Grogu clothes and merch and stuff, they they probably don't really care so much about like the Mandalorian uh power struggles uh within like that show um and uh and all that so i think like just isolating grogu um and having like fun silly adventures 
um, I think is something that is like a kind of a no brainer. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you could do that. I think like Lucasfilm animation could do that successfully. Um, but I also think uh, a Japanese studio could um, do that successfully as well, considering, um, you know, at least in, um, you know, my experience, anime is a thousand times bigger and more popular than like Western animation um, with kids yeah. these days. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, another thing I don't know very much about that, you know, way, way more about is Pokemon and like Pokemon is huge. Right. And, and, and that, uh, that anime, um, is, is one that's been super popular here in America for many, many years. And, uh, and yeah, so, um, why not? Yeah. That, that would be, I mean, that would be super I'll, cool. Yeah. Also, uh, shout out to Ash Ketchum, uh, world champion. Uh, congratulations to Ash on that. Yeah, I was going to say shout out to the Pokemon theme song in the Donkey Konga game on GameCube because mm. that's my favorite piece of Pokemon anything. All right, let's uh, move on to the next. Mm-hmm. Should we keep it going? Let's keep it rolling. Move on to the next mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, next story is really exciting, Ryan. It's a big one. The Acolyte yeah. has started filming. The Acolyte yes. has started filming. So this is a project we've been super excited for for a long time, um, but it's one that we learned about like quite a while ago. Um, was it 2019? that we learned about it, uh, maybe 2020. Um, but either way, maybe it's 2020. I don't know, but it was a long time ago that we learned about the Acolyte. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's something that, uh, I think a lot of us are really excited for, but has felt like just, it's been in development for a long time. And, and, you know, I've been waiting for some more concrete <laughs> information yeah. and, uh, you know, so it's great to see that it's actually happening. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't doubt that it was going to happen, but just like knowing that it's happening now and that means we're one step closer to actually getting it is, uh, is a big deal. Uh, I mean, I um, doubted it was going to happen and I was, it was one of yeah. the projects I was terrified of like qu- quietly or loudly getting canceled. Um, yeah. so yeah, yeah, this, uh, okay. put my, put my, uh, fears at, at rest. Yeah. Um, and so there was an updated cast list that was uh, put out there. Um, so we know we've known for a long time that Amanda Stenberg is going to be, I believe the, it seems like the protagonist or the star of the show. Um, Mm -hmm. there's, uh, uh, but a full cast list, Lee Jung Jae, uh, Manny Jacinto, Daphne Keen. That's a new name for the acolyte. Um, I'm familiar with Daphne Keen from the Logan movie. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. what else she's been in, but, um, I saw there was another high profile thing that she's in, um, some kind His of dark materials. Thing. That's what it His is. Dark yeah. materials. Yeah. The film. You watch that? Um, no, I read the books though. <laughs> so that doesn't You're literate dude, at gotcha. all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. But still, it's good to brag about it. All right. Um, Jody Turner Smith, yeah. great books. Rebecca yeah. Henderson, Charlie mm-hmm. Barnett, Dean Charles Chapman, and Carrie Ann Moss. Um, yes. Who, again, I'm not super familiar with Carrie Ann Moss, but I know she was in The Matrix, right? So, well, I don't know she what was, else uh, is she in. Uh, recently, she was in the new um, Horizon game. Okay. Yep. No, I wouldn't yeah, know about that. Cool. So, but uh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. But, okay. uh, yeah. So Massive, but people are really excited. Uh, Matrix sequel fan here. So um, I'm I'm oh, all yeah. on board for Carrie Ann Moss. 
Hey, very good. So, uh, yeah, and that, that was a, an announcement that people were super excited about. It seemed like people mm-hmm. were super stoked on that. So that's good. Um, and there was an image released from the set. Looks like rehearsals because uh, the, the photo features uh, Amanda Stenberg and Lee Jung Jae. And uh, they are not in, I don't think those are Star Wars costumes they're wearing. Um, one of them is a licensed, a licensed Star Wars t-shirt. So I don't think that's going to be... Um, one of the one of the shirts but uh i guess we'll see so uh yeah but it also features leslie headland uh on set um directing those two um in rehearsals so that's cool um i don't know if Mm -hmm. you've done the whole zoom in and sort of identify small aspects of the frame to analyze that set and setting ryan i haven't done that but uh, it looks cool and it looks like star wars so that's all Mm -hmm. good Um, And let's read this little synopsis as well, because this synopsis is amazing. The Acolyte is a mystery thriller that will take viewers into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic era. A former Padawan reunites with her Jedi Master to investigate a series of crimes, but the forces they confront are more sinister than they ever anticipated. Hell yeah, that sounds awesome. So good. So good. Yeah, I think this... This feels like the, you know, after Andor, like the, like that flavor, Mm. I think, Um, with the, with the intrigue, I expect this to be kind of like a little bit more mature storytelling, um, a a little more, a little more, a little more gray area in it, um, that that's 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 kind of the the vibe i'm getting yeah i would think so i mean mystery thriller um that certainly mm-hmm. sounds uh, a little more mature or for uh, a little bit of a, a you know an older audience emerging dark side powers and shadowy secrets you know i mean that 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 could be that's a little pulpy you know what i mean and so that's that's yeah. my thing is that i do like it does seem um and just knowing like the although I haven't actually watched uh, Russian doll, but I'm um, knowing what I know about it and about Leslie Headland, I would imagine it'll be a little more of, you know, a mature or sophisticated kind of star Wars show. But I love too that it's like, well, yeah, we've got Padawans and Jedi and dark side powers and, you know, cause it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, well, it's like similar to that Andor flavor. Yeah. But that Andor flavor is so grounded and it's so, you yeah. know, kind of removed from all of the pulpy, uh, or I should say most of the pulpy and most of the, um, kind of supernatural or, or, uh, you know, kind of mystical elements of star Wars. So yeah. to maybe have a little more sophisticated or mature kind of storytelling style, but still have some of those components. I mean, mm-hmm. that sounds really good. That sounds really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, I mean, just going off, um, I still haven't watched uh, season two of Russian Dow, but, um, you know, the first season, which I have seen, um, there's, it's also like very, uh, I would say like a lot of like black humor. Um, okay. It's funny, but it's like dark, <laughs> um, in some ways. And I don't know if any of that, uh, will carry over, um, as well. I want to say that the Star Wars Twitter account, um, or Disney plus Twitter account said that this is going to be coming in 2023. Um, 
And I think that's the plan. So I, I would assume like late 2023 certainly seems like they should be able to get it out in 2023 if it's filming now. Um, mm-hmm. But it doesn't, I'm looking at this story on starwars.com and it doesn't say anything about the release date, but I'm, I think it'll be 2023. So that's pretty exciting. Um, one more thing about it before we move on to the next story, if that's okay. I do want to say, I don't like the logo at all. I don't like the logo, the Acolyte. Um, I think the font looks uh, I don't like that font. That it logo looks like uh, an EU book cover logo. It totally. Or um, do you remember the Star Wars Unleashed um, figures, the toy series, like the ones? Yeah, where, like, I have some of like, them. Yeah! I, have, I have some of them right behind me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's what the logo looks like to me. So I'm I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. But I will survive um, even uh-huh. with that <laughs> logo that I'm not a big fan of. Yeah. All right. Um, speaking of things that you'll have to survive, Ryan, um, our next uh, our next story here is about a possible film um, to be directed by Sean Levy, he of Deadpool three, and more importantly to us on this show, uh, Stranger Things fame. So, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a story that um, was kind of exciting to me and um, landed with a thud for you i think (laughs) um but uh yeah this is a deadline story and deadline is like hey we can reveal that sean levy is in talks to come aboard and develop a direct star wars and direct a a star wars film um they say uh deadline says they're trying to pry loose the details of the plot and the writer but we can tell you this levy will focus on this one after he completes the job of directing deadpool 3 um at marvel and disney so yeah, he's busy. He has a uh, show in post-production for Netflix called All the Light We Cannot See. Um, I think that's an adaptation of a novel. It's a four-episode um, kind of like short series or whatever that he directed. Um, he's also going to be working on at least two episodes of the final season of Stranger Things, which I think doesn't come out until 2024 and films sometime next year. And then I don't actually know, like, I guess they're are they filming Deadpool 3 now? Um, or soon probably, right? Cause I know they put out those promotional videos where Hugh Jackman was like, Hey, I'm in this or, you know, like Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman together. Like, I don't know if that was on set or, but I think they must be getting close to filming that if they're not filming it already. These are things that would be easy to find out if I had researched them ahead of time, but, Damn. um, but anyway, he's a busy guy. He's got a lot of projects going, but it could be that the, a star Wars film will be the one that, uh, kind of follows, Deadpool three and his stranger things wrapping up his stranger things, um, commitments. So, you know, that being said, we really don't know anything else about this deadline. Doesn't offer any other information really about this. It sounds like it is one of multiple or maybe even many star Wars film projects that are, uh, cooking in to some degree, you know, or being put together to some degree, it's crazy. Cause like, we're hearing so much about so many different star Wars films at this point, you know, and I know that your position and, and the position of a lot of people who follow star Wars these days is like, I'm not even going to think about it too much or worry about it too much at this point, because mm-hmm. the likelihood it makes it to screen, you know, is a uh, unknown, right. And mm-hmm. maybe not that high. So, um, yeah. Do you want to jump in here before I, I, I give my take on on uh, on this? Do you have anything to add? Um, no, I mean, I'm I don't like Stranger Things. I don't like Deadpool. Uh, this guy also did Free Guy, uh, which I saw the trailer for, for and I don't think I would like that. Um, so this is one I'm, you know, just based off his body of work. I mean, 
uh, he's definitely seems to be like a talented dude who makes movies that make and TV shows that make a ton of money. Um, so like a very populist director, which maybe Star Wars needs, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I mean, he'd probably make a lot of money for the company. But uh, yeah, this uh, just based on his body of work, I'm not really interested in this considering like the other options are like Damon Lindelof or Taika Waititi um, for the next films, which uh, sound uh, sound much better to me. Sure, sure, sure. Now, one correction I'll make there. <laughs> I can't even get it out without laughing. Sorry. Uh, one correction I'll make there is that you said you're not a Stranger Things fan. You know, mm-hmm. um, we could add yet. You know, you're not a Stranger Things fan yet. Mm. You know what I mean? But the, the jury's still out on w- w- what will happen with that um, long term, Ryan. But um, yeah, no, I mean, like it, the funny thing about it is I'm excited for this because I love Stranger Things and I've watched some of the behind the scenes footage and stuff and and, and I've read a, a book about the making of Stranger Things um, early seasons of Stranger Things. And I just think he seems really uh, smart and really cool. And uh, I, I think I like his sensibilities. Um, and, you know, I think he his episodes of Stranger Things. He's an executive producer on the show and a close collaborator with the Duffer brothers um, and also directs some of the episodes. So we were talking about this in, in, the, in the chat the other day or whatever on our text message back and forth. But it's like, yes, he's directed some episodes of Stranger Things, but he is, you know, he's not a showrunner, but he's, he's an executive producer and like sort of the next closest thing to a showrunner on that show. So I think he's he's heavily involved in the, in the direction of it. Um, in the, in the direction of the project, in addition to actually literally directing episodes of the show, so um, the, you know I'm I'm kind of bought in just because of his involvement with that show, which I love. Uh, but that being said, like the other stuff he's involved in, um, namely Deadpool and Free Guy, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> like those don't really. I mean, I haven't actually ever watched a Deadpool movie, but what I've seen of the Deadpool movies, it's like definitely not my thing. And yeah, uh, yeah. not for, (laughs) not for me at all. Yeah. You would not uh, care for them. Yeah. Yeah. And free guy. Although I will say, um, I, I do trust, uh, Owen, my son's movie taste in movies, Mm -hmm. um, you know, pretty well. And he seemed to think free guy was, was decent and, uh, like not offensive or not awful, you know, cause I think my dad took him and my younger son to see it. My younger son loved it. And then mm-hmm. Owen even was like, yeah, it was okay. So I think if it was like really trash, he would have been like, no, that was, he's like on letterboxd all the time and like loves like writing reviews of movies. And, you know, nice. he's currently Ryan, he's currently bugging uh, my wife and I to watch uh Synecdoche, New York, the Charlie Ooh. Coffin movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm like, ah, can we watch something else? Like he, he keeps bugging me about watching that. So that just <laughs> shows you what kind movie. of movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. But anyway, so the point is like, he, he's, it's not like he's like, you know, oh yeah, man, like let's watch Deadpool. And, uh, and it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fine. He has good you know. taste. Yeah. He yeah. has good taste is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Yeah. Like, he likes, he likes silly stuff I mean, too, but I'm just saying like he has good taste and he, he didn't seem to think, you know, um, free guy was awful. So yeah. I I don't yeah. think I could I could barely make it through the trailer. It's uh too much uh too much gamer culture uh for me. What if our listener base responds to this episode um begging us to do a uh a, like a live stream of us watching um Free Guy Ryan or something like that? Or what if they what if they beg us to watch Free Guy and just do an, a podcast episode about it? At that point you'd have to do it. I mean 
you know no they're if, not they're yeah. not my boss <laughs> um I'm just saying if you get yeah, a lot of so, emails from listeners saying you should watch Stranger mm-hmm. Things and Free Guy, like you'll know what you have to do. That's all I'm saying. I don't have to do anything. I'm, I'm <laughs> old and I can do whatever I want. Um, so uh, I my my conspiracy theory here is uh-huh. that um, bringing in this uh, this uh, Sean Levy um, man is uh, <laughs> secretly uh, a Lucasfilm plan to uh get ryan reynolds into um star wars who Mm. he had made a statement um you know a few uh weeks or months ago about how how he wouldn't say no um to to being in a star wars film and you know they're uh, frequent collaborators so uh, I don't know if I can imagine Ryan Reynolds in a Star Wars film. I like him. I like Ryan Reynolds. Um, he won me over with Van Wilder, Ryan, um, hmm. as he did a whole hmm. generation. I, hmm. but I like him, but like he's so, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, that would be interesting. I'm, I'm a having lot. a little trouble seeing it, but he is a lot. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Yeah, but but I, I do think he's likable. Um, I, yeah. He's charismatic. I like him. So. Yeah. I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't be uh, offended by the idea, but I'm not seeing it, you know, right away. Yeah. So, um, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Well, why don't we talk about uh, a a Star Wars movie that's not happening? Um. Mm-hmm. We kind of barely knew that it was, but uh, I don't remember this very much. I don't know if it was ever announced. Um. It doesn't really seem like it was announced, right? I don't think it was announced. So. Uh, anyway, this is a movie made by, um, well, it was a movie to be made by JD Dillard, um, who directed the movie devotion and, um, also worked on the force awakens as like a second unit director or a camera operator or something like that. Um, so let's see, what was his position on the force awakens? I'm not sure. It just said he got to start working alongside Abrams on the force awakens, JJ Abrams. Um, so anyway, and it seems like his movies that he's worked on so far, uh, at least this movie devotion is about, um, naval aviation and his father was an aviator as well. Um, and he was going to maybe do a rocketeer sequel. Um, so there's kind of like a thing that he's, you know, uh, sort of involved in there. Um, as far as like, a style of film, I guess that he seems to excel at or, or have a, a lot of interest in. So, um, yeah, there was, uh, there was talk that he was going to do a star Wars movie. Um, he says that it is unfortunately no longer a thing. It was not for a lack of trying. Um, he says he's not done with the idea of making a space movie, but it will be an original idea if he does. And, um, Ryan, why don't you talk about why you are disappointed that this movie is not happening? What, what, what excited you about this movie? Yeah. Um, so he said, um, in, uh, the rap asked him, uh, what his star Wars movie would feel like. And he said, um, I'm just going to quote here. He did say that playing an early star Wars computer game called tie fighter changed his life. My dad being an aviator, we had a bunch of flight simulators, Dillard said, including TIE Fighter. 
I'm playing this game for months and my dad's flying it with me. And I'm like, man, this game is just so cool. And he's like, well, you know, this game comes from a series of movies. And I was like, you're kidding me. That is where I watched Star Wars for the first time and realized the full scope of what it meant to world build because I've been playing this pseudo 16 bit game. Yeah. Yep, so that sounds like that could have been a, a pretty interesting... Why don't they just give him the Rogue Squadron movie, you know? Um, that's not happening, I don't know. Because um, no, appreciate- he, he wasn't playing X-Wing, he was playing TIE Fighter. Okay, He has enough, his own fair mission. Enough. Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I do appreciate uh, what he says, too, about not working on or not being on the Return of the Rocketeer um, movie anymore. He says he, he loves the Rocketeer, um, but uh, anyway, he's not on it, and... Uh, he says, I'm definitely trying to not make the same movie twice. I'm going to keep steady on that. So maybe part of the issue was similarities to the aviation focus movies he's already made. And uh, sounds like he's, he's saying he doesn't want to keep making the same movie or doesn't want to get stuck into that, that kind of scenario. So I can appreciate that for sure. Um, another thing that apparently it's hard to tell if he's at all involved in this or not, or I don't know, um, is JJ Abrams's black Superman project for DC and Warner brothers. Um, I'm not, I don't know anything about that. Um, but he says the black Superman project was something I've never spoken about. JJ is a hero of mine, a mentor and somewhere very dear to me. He totally has my email and phone number if that is ever to be a conversation, but that's not something I've been introduced to. Okay. So I guess he's not involved. He's not involved, but, uh, some kind words about JJ there. And maybe there's a possibility that, uh, something could happen with him there. So anyway, I, I'm not super familiar with this filmmaker. He won me over with his comments in this interview. He seems really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So too bad that project is not happening because uh, it sounds like it would have been great, but could be for a whole yeah. number of reasons. Uh, and, and as we were talking about this earlier in the week, you know, kind of the point that one of the points I was making is that this seems like another one of those situations. And we talked about this on last week's episode as well, but this seems like one of those situations where, there were conversations happening. They were looking to develop something with him. And, um, you know, as part of that developmental process, it just didn't, you know, work out or fizzled out or for whatever reason, it, it wasn't a good fit. Um, and to me, I don't really view that as like a, a you know, a, a major controversy or like really evidence of a dysfunctional system. Uh, it seems like the kind of thing that would be necessary in the, mm-hmm. in the development of films to, you know, work with people and see how it's going. So I guess what I'm trying to say is this sort of seems like the Patty Jenkins rogue squadron situation may be very similar to that, except for they just didn't make like a high budget promotional video announcing it and telling everybody they were going to get it. And then they didn't, you know? Um, So I think as we already talked about last week, maybe that's the lesson is like, just don't get ahead of yourself and announcing these things and making, you know, um, making promises that, maybe you're not really sure they're going to deliver um, yet, you know? So like with the Sean Levy thing, it's not Lucasfilm out there telling us about it. Um, they haven't filmed him on the set of stranger things, you know, it, with like Millie Bobby Brown over in the corner, like lifting the millennium Falcon up in the air with telekinesis. And then him being like, I want to make a star war, you know, like they're not doing that at least so far. Um, but I will totally eat up that video if they make it. But, um, <laughs> Oh my God, Ryan, what if some of the Stranger Things kids could be in his Star Wars movie? I just thought about that. Oh my god, that would be cool. There, I mean, 
I don't know if it's like they're good actors. Like if it's oh, they are. Yeah, I mean, if it's a good movie, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but if it's just like nostalgia bait, then <laughs> what if it's a crossover between universes? All right, um, that was a lot of news. We talked about a lot of news. We did it in thirty minutes. I'm impressed with. I'm, I'm proud of us. Yeah, yeah, I'm proud yeah. of us. Um, now it's Andor time. Yes, I'm also proud of this incredible episode of Andor called No Way Out. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let's talk Andor episode 10. All the light and sound This little world's too fragile now And there's only one way out But if you let me slide I'll do my best to make things right And I'm no Ryan, did you like Andor episode 10? I loved Andor episode 10. Um, Incredible. Just incredible. Mm -hmm. That's all. (laughs) I think it's the best, best one yet, which is really saying something. I think it's the best episode thus far. It was killer. I don't, I don't know if I'd go that far. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I, (laughs) I guess we could talk about why. Um, I I would say, like, I think there are moments that might be the, there's one, one scene that might be my favorite scene in the show. I don't know. I can't tell yet. I need to just, when I rewatch everything, I think I'll have a a clearer picture of that. But um, I think it's so weird, but um, when this... (laughs) episode like kind of got into the the action sequences for like the actual prison break i was like that i i mean it had to happen like we had to like the everything was building to that we had to have that like you know a bunch of dudes running down hallways shooting blasters at dudes Mm -hmm. but like that was i was like oh this is just star wars like where mm. everything else had been like so elevated and then like we got to some of those scenes and they're short they're quick and there's also stuff interspersed in those scenes that is like incredible and like el- like elevates i think those parts but there was definitely like a point where i was like yeah this could have been like any star wars thing from you know the last 5 years for like these like little like shootout sequences which I mean, you, it, they needed to be there and stuff, but it was like, I don't know. It, I like consciously noticed that. And like, that was like when I was like, kind of like picking up my phone and stuff like that, which like the show never, I'm never doing um, when I'm watching this show. And, but then when it's just like dudes running down corridors, blasting each other, it's like, eh, okay. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I felt like, I mean, yeah, have we seen 
you know, dudes running down corridors with blasters in Star Wars before. Many times, yes, many, many times, that's true. Um, but I will say, like, I think my tension level was much higher, uh, you know, in this sequence than it normally would be in a, in a sequence like sure. that. I think I can yep. usually watch a sequence like that and it's about being exciting and it's about, you know, adventure. This mm-hmm. is more like, you know, this, this, this sequence to me was, you know, are these guys willing to do what they have to do to escape? It was a little bit about like turning, turning the tables on, I was very much about turning the tables on the, the oppressors who've been, you know, kind of holding them, uh, down, uh, definitely holding them down. And so, you know, there, there was more emotion in it and that I feel like every time somebody, you know, fell to a blaster bolt, um, mm-hmm. they don't linger. They're, they're quick. They don't linger. Um, which I think is like, it's almost terse. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's, it, it, it's interesting. Cause on one level, I feel like they make you, it matters more. Like when you see someone go down to a blaster bolt, it's like, wow, they're dead. Like that killed them. And this mm-hmm. is like a, like this is a loss or this is a, you know, the loss of a life or whatever, but they also don't like over dramatize it or anything. It's nope. like, it's a fact of what's happening. You know, yeah. the, the dude, somebody is hit with a blaster bolt. They're gone and that's it. And, but, but yeah, in, in the action sequence, in the running down the corridor thing, it's not like just like random, like, Oh, just blasting all these stormtroopers, whatever. It's like, usually when somebody Imperial or, you know, prisoner is, is, is hit by a, a blaster bolt, it's like, it has impact and, and meaning. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I certainly didn't, I didn't have that kind of like, uh, on board cause I've already seen this before kind of vibe. I do think it's good that it wasn't like, you know, 30 you know 20 minutes of the 35 minute episode is is you know all action or whatever i didn't need that um but but i found it pretty exciting and i think the 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 segment leading up to it when cassian's like going into the bathroom and you know cutting that that um water valve or water main or whatever Mm -hmm. and all that was like i was really tense you know (laughs) so tense Uh, and and then it's like literal like a literal um like water explosion <laughs> like this yeah. like literal like release um which yes. yeah and, I, and and i had one of those moments too where i was like oh that's what he's doing like i didn't uh-huh. understand because we talked before. we talked about that like before how like they hadn't been explaining all that and then yep. like here uh, and we were saying like it's it's gonna pay off like mm-hmm. they're they're you know being intentionally vague about this and um they're not over explaining it they're not being like condescending to the audience like it's if you're paying attention it's gonna pay off like there are no like wasted shots in this show and so and it did and then i was and then like when it when everything you know when all the pieces started to fall in place i was like ah nice like yeah that's really smart really good yeah, it was so smart. Like, we're going to flood this floor. We're going to get them to turn that floor on, and then it's going to mm-hmm. short everything out. And, uh, yeah, that was brilliant. Um, so I guess we're, we're leading our discussion of, yeah. of uh, episode 10, No Way Out, with this prison break thing. So that's fine. Um, I, I think, though, that, like, as it's you know, part of that thread of the plot, you know, the opening shot of the show, if I'm remembering correctly, is Olaf being zipped up in the body bag. Um, you know, it's like a close-up on his his face as he's lying dead there and being zipped up in the body bag. I thought that was a really, you know, kind of powerful way to open. And, uh, 
and then, you know, the shot that follows is him being, um, you know, brought out through the, through the area where all the other prisoners are, you know, they're seeing him in that body bag being taken out. I thought that was really, uh, pretty powerful and also cool that the trolley, as they call it, um, you know, is like a repulsor lift type thing. It doesn't, it doesn't have wheels in, uh, in space, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. Um, so yeah. And then of course, you know, after that, like we get more with Kino, um, Kino Loy being, um, still hesitant, you know, still hesitant. Cause like the, the last episode, episode nine ended with that killer line, like no more than 12, right? Like, okay, we're doing this, but Mm -hmm. he's still, he's still nervous to do it. And (laughs) excuse me, I watched the episode again yesterday and, uh, it was really, it was really something to rewatch it and look at his reactions and consider his motivations and his feelings about, you know, if they should do this prison break or not, knowing that at the end, He's going to get, you know, he's going to lead all of these men up to the top of that prison. He's going to lead them all up there to escape. And then he's like, I can't, I can't swim, you know? Um, So, so yeah, knowing like seeing that hesitation in his face in the beginning of the episode and in other times in the episode, it's like, you know, when he says like, I'd rather die for, you know, I'd rather die fighting them than, you know, die giving them what they want. It's like, he, he really knows. And there's other lines. I'm, I'm assuming like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm operating on the idea that I'm already dead. So, yeah. you know, whatever it's like, yeah, that was such a, such a powerful reveal, you know, at the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, but, but, but early there, it, it, you know, uh, casting's like, okay, it's gotta be tomorrow, but we'll never have a better chance. They're going to bring more guards in. Like this is our best shot. And Kino still is a little, you know, hesitant to do it. And, uh, you know, Cassian tells him like they fried a hundred men to keep us quiet, you know, or to keep us from learning the truth. Like, what do you call that? They're afraid, you know? And, uh, and Kino's like, I call that power. And, um, mm-hmm. Cassian says, pa- power doesn't panic. It's not power. Power doesn't panic. And I just feel like that's such an inspiring, you know, kind of oh, message good. for the rebellion, mm-hmm. right. For the idea of rebellion, like power doesn't panic. Like they're afraid we got to seize on that. So yeah, super super well put together. Um, and, uh, yeah, as we already said that, that, that whole sequence where, you know, Cassian's cutting the pipe, uh, they're all pulling stuff up to put on the table. So they have enough like things to throw, um, really cool. And, um, you know, uh, the performance for, uh, Kino Loy there, um, just like really strong and really powerful throughout, uh, you know, him shouting attack and all of that. But, um, yeah, to see the mini rising up against the few in those those guards was uh, definitely like a sort of a visual representation of of uh, what the show is really all about, you know, in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. So, just perfectly done, perfectly done. Um, any other thoughts on the uh, the um, prison break sort of sequence? Yeah, I think um, you kind of like going back to like the shootouts, like. Yeah, like, I do, I did, like, find, like, the scenes kind of, like, dull where they're just, like, you know, running, running through the corridors and, like, just, like, quickly firing off blasters and stuff. But I did, um, it is, like, really interesting that, like, there's no one with, like, helmets or masks on in this. Like, you're Mm. seeing, like, people's, like, you're seeing the impact that the bolts are having on their bodies 
and you're seeing like their faces as it happens, which is something I know, like, you know, stormtroopers were, you know, originally kind of like masked to, you know, avoid that, um, to, to like avoid thinking of them as people. Um, yeah. The same reason the foot soldiers are uh, robots in the Ninja Turtles cartoon, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, like, yeah, that's just, you know, this is different. Like, um, but I think the, like, I was, you know, I I think the those scenes were well executed. There were just, like, some moments that were, like, a little, de- like, not at the same level um, to me. But the moment that was like brilliant that I think took this to like a totally different level than the other, um, you know, the mini dudes running down hallways of an Imperial facility, um, you know, blasted dudes um, scenes we've had in Star Wars. I think what really elevated it was the scene with the Imperials all huddled in that room with the prisoners like running by and they're like just like trying not to make any sounds and they're like terrified and you know hidden like yeah man <laughs> that was that was powerful yeah no that was uh that was a great moment and um and certainly emphasize the fact that like when, when the many come together, you know, when the oppressed come together, when the many come together, they do have more power, you know, um, to, uh, to quote the rise of Skywalker, there's more of us, Poe, there's more of us, you know, that's a, that is a great line in the rise of Skywalker about the many kind of coming together and rising up. So, um, yeah, uh, I love that as well. And, uh, you know, I wanted to mention too, uh, first off, like this episode has two incredible monologues, you know, one from Andy Circus, one from uh, Stellan Skarsgård. We'll talk about those too. But I also wanted to, um, you know, kind of touch on the the scene when Kino and Cassian break into that control room, and there are the three sort of you know security worker guys, yeah. whatever they are. They're probably higher up on the food chain there in that prison. How long we hang on, how far we get, how many of us make it out. All of that is now up to us we have deactivated every floor in the facility all the floors are cold wherever you are right now get up stop the work get out of your cells take charge and start climbing they don't have enough guards and they know it if we wait until they figure that out, it'll be too late. We will never have a better chance than this. And I would rather die trying to take them down than giving them what they want. We know they fried a hundred men on level two. We know that they are making up our sentences. As we go along, we know that no one outside here knows what's happening. And now we know that when they say we are being released, we are being transferred to some other prison to go and die. 
And that ends today. There is one way out. Right now. The building is ours. You need to run, climb, kill. You need to help each other. You see someone who's confused, someone who's lost. You get them moving and you keep them moving until we put this place behind us. There are 5,000 of us. If we can fight half as hard as we've been working, we will be home in no time. One way out! I thought that was great. Uh, obviously, like, I think it's, I can't remember if it's Cassian or Kino who, like, the one guy starts stalling or whatever, and he just, like, takes that dude out, you know, just shoots him. Um, and it was really startling. And, uh, but I think, you know, a sort of a necessary thing to kind of, I mean, it was, it was pretty heartless or pretty, uh, pretty intense um, for that to happen. And they don't kill the other two. So, you know, they're not completely just like savage or whatever. But, the thing that really, I don't want to say legitimized or justified that necessarily, but the thing that the, the, the element of that scene later on that really made that work for me is when, um, I think it's Cassie. I can't remember if it's Cassie or Kino, but anyway, they look at those two guys they're over in the corner, which by the way, so fantastic that either Cassie or Kino shouts on program. I think it's Cassie and shouts on program to them. Uh, that was fantastic yes. to see the, yeah. the, 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 um, the officers yeah. have to go on program. But after that, he's like, they killed, I think it's during keynote speech. They killed a hundred men. They fried a hundred men, you know? And, and it was like those two guys that they, they cut to those officers faces. Um, when he said that, I can't remember if he was saying it directly to them or as part of that speech, but he said like they killed a hundred men, you know, they fried a whole floor. I think that's what he said. They fried a whole floor, you know, so we wouldn't know what's really going on. And then, you know, as that's being said that the, the shot is of those two officers standing in there in the corner, because to a certain extent that they're so kind of meek and, you know, kind of weak or whatever that I feel like you have the tendency and maybe even, yeah, you have the tendency to be like, oh, well, they shouldn't be really you know, they shouldn't have killed that guy over there. You know what I mean? He was just standing there doing his job and they just straight up killed him. And it's like, yeah, but these guys go to work every day knowing that they're, they're facilitating, you know, they're making that possible, that kind of oppression. Like that's what they, they sit up there in that little room and they press their little space buttons to oppress all of these hundreds of people. Um, and they knowingly and willingly go along with the, you know, the murder of, of people all the time. And so it's like, yeah. Um, they, uh, they, they, they're not, um, they're not free of any of that guilt or, you know, um, responsibility just because they have like a, a little cushy control room job or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, you know, it's, uh, Nuremberg, it's like the, the, Fence. Um, I think that scene was uh, again just like so many scenes this episode with just palpable. Um, 
where I like I'm running through the scenarios in my head, like trying to decide like what should happen, I guess, or like what I think is going to happen. Cause like that scene, I was like, are they going to kill these guys? Yeah. Are they going to kill them or are they going to leave them? And I mean, like in the context of this, like, prison break and again like running down hallways shooting dudes like i mean it's it's so funny how like you can like there's there's no hesitation when there's like a guy in front of them in the hallway with like a blaster there's no hesitation there there's nothing to kind of like dwell on and then they get in the room and there's like conversation and expressions and like it's still the same enemy who are like doing different roles um but they're like part of the same machine and so then there's like this like ethical dilemma and it's like and it's also like how do how are we going to view these characters like you know we never you know we never um hate uh, Leia or Han Solo when they're like shooting um shooting stormtroopers we're never like oh they're they're bad people um like but it's it, it's just in the in the context of the scene like if you know Andor or Kino would have shot those guys I think I mean I think my reaction would have been like yep that makes sense um, because like they could still be like a threat to the mission, but they didn't, and that also makes sense because they're not they're not killing just for the just to kill like mm. they're they're eliminating obstacles to their mission. Um, which is to get out of this like oppressive facility, which I think is a noble mission. Um, but it, there's like complexities in how, you know, how they get there. And I just thought it was such a fascinating scene in that way. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the episode kind of addresses this to a certain extent with uh, with Luthen and with Mon Mothma. Um, I mean, not quite as explicitly with Mon Mothma, but with Luthen for sure. Um, but you know, I think like one obvious distinction there is that when they're running through the hallways, like those soldiers or officers or whatever, those prison guards have blasters and they're shooting at them with those blasters. You know what I mean? So it's like, they're, they're going to either die or they're going to kill or they're going to die. Right. Um, but when they're in that room, it's like, okay, well, these guys aren't armed. You know what I mean? They're, they're, yeah. So it would be more of a cold blood kind of killing versus a, a shootout and a prison break. Um, that being said, they do kill the one guy, you know, when they first walk in. Um, so it's not too much different, but at least in that case, there was, there was the, I guess the clear kind of motivation for why it's like, okay, we need to prove that we were serious and we really mean this. So we will sacrifice this guy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's the same thing as, is the, the, the opening episode of the show when Cassian kills the second, um, security officer whatever the corporate 
you know, security officer guy, um, because it's like, it's too dangerous to leave him alive. So I have to kill him. You know, um, you could make the argument it would be too dangerous to leave those guys there. But I guess the other side of it is like, they clearly are overpowering and outnumbering these prison forces. You know, the other guards are hiding in a closet somewhere, um, you know, and these guys aren't armed and they already shut the power off and did whatever. It's like, uh, I can see why they don't. It also, you know, brings me back to, whether or not Cinta killed that wife and that child, um, you know, in that moment uh, yeah. to protect the mission. And it's like, if she did, are we going to excuse that? Like, I don't think I could, but I can also certainly see the rationale and the reasoning for, for doing it. And I think where you see that like very clearly in this episode, again, is with uh, Luthen and his incredible, you know, sort of monologue to uh, Lonnie towards the end of the episode. Um, but he's like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to sacrifice, uh, Krieger and his men, 50 men. We can, we can lose 50 men. We'll sacrifice 50 men. We'll let them walk into a trap and be murdered. Um, because that's how we keep your cover, you know? And so that's what we'll do. And, uh, he's, I mean, he gives this monologue afterwards, which demonstrates he does have some regret or he does have some, uh, shame or guilt about doing that. But he's, he's at a point where Luthen's at a point where, like if he walked into that room, those guys are dead. You know what I mean? For sure. Those two, I think those two officers, there's, there's a 0% chance. He's like, no, we'll let those guys live. I think he would kill him in a second. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, but I think it's really curious to see, or I'm very interested to see what the show will ultimately have to say about Luthen and what Luthen's doing and the choices Luthen is making. Because, you know, does, I mean, Cassian kills, I forget the name of the character, but he kills that character in the beginning of Rogue One, right? Because it's like, this guy's not getting out of here. He's going to get captured. I can let him take me down with him. I can let him be captured and give information about the rebellion to the empire, or I I have to kill the guy, right? Um, He makes that decision. But I, even in that moment, I don't think he's a Luthan character, you know, yet he's not on that level. And so I guess what I'm trying to get to here is like, ultimately, what will the show say about these choices that Luthen makes, these sacrifices Luthen makes? Like when it's done, all said and done, is it going to be like, you know, Luthen was operating the right way. Luthen was doing the thing, you know, these were the choices that had to be made. Or are we going to see him kind of descend more and more into um, being willing to play with other people's lives in, in a, in a, cold and callous way and is that going to be demonstrated as ultimately the wrong approach or you know is he gonna is he gonna well i don't even really have to ask that question i was gonna say is he gonna pay for that well i think he's gonna pay i think he thinks he's gonna pay he knows he's gonna pay yeah you know <laughs> i burn to make my life a sunrise i'll never see like he knows he's gonna pay for it too but i still i'm interested to see like ultimately when it's all said and done what will the show have to say about it you know what will the show sort of conclude about a guy like um luthan and will there be a distinction drawn between him and people like cassian or bix or marva uh or even vale because we see that conflict is is maybe in the making between vale and luthan and so i i do kind of feel like the show is setting us up to kind of root for or to side with or empathize more um with the characters that don't go as far as Luthen goes with all of this. 
I I wonder. Like I I want I I don't know if it's guaranteed that the show is going to make like a like definitive statement on the- Well, I don't think it's guaranteed. I definitely yeah, yeah I don't think it's guaranteed. I, I could I, see it. I could see it not. Yeah, like cuz I think like the show just presents these like ethical dilemmas and these flawed characters um who like live lives of deceit and um doing things that are not like um by you know various definitions and i i think like the show is fine with just letting us the audience just like wrestle with that without telling us that you know they did the right thing or they did the wrong thing yeah yeah i mean i agree i look the show opens the first sort of sequence of the show is the protagonist um killing a guy in cold blood like it's definitely willing to to you know uh, give us characters who we side with and empathize with doing awful things. But also the point of an arc of a story, you know what I mean? Is to kind of land somewhere, right? Like we're the whole, like whenever you hear them talk about the show, like what are we doing with Cassie Andor? we're showing how he goes from someone who can turn his back on all this to someone who, who will lay it all on the line and give it all yeah. up to it's not just like, Oh, well we're just, we're just putting chess pieces on the table and like you guys can figure out whatever they do want to tell the story, right? They want to, they, right. they want to take us somewhere with these characters. And I think there's so many characters in the show that obviously like most of them aren't going to have an arc like that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But I, I think I, I just see, I see all these pieces that like, if, if you're, you know, if you imagine yourself as the writers of the show or the creators of the show, you have all these things on the board that you're moving around. Like, where are we going with this? Like, what's the point of this? Where, where, where is this headed? I think there's too much to me. It seems like right now there's too much evidence that they are placing conflicts, um, in the show that they have to be resolved, you know, one way or the other. I, I think like the whole thing with like, I don't think you introduced this thing with Vale where Luthen's like, you need to murder Cassian, and Vale's like, clearly doesn't want to do that, you know, without the show landing on one side of it or the other, you know? I don't know. Uh, I think they will. I, I, I think... I think there'll be conclusions to the stories, but I don't think it will be binary. Like thematically i i think like you know we're going to get to the the end of this and i think we will we will get cassian's arc to like you know who he is at the beginning of rogue one like the i that that's obvious um but i think we'll uh get to the i think for most of these characters um I think we'll get to the end and, you know, we'll look back at these characters and how their stories were resolved. And I think it'll just be like, well, that's complicated. And Mm -hmm. it, I think that's just how it will, uh, how it will kind of play out. And I, I don't think there will be like a definitive, like 
light side, dark side kind of conclusion to um, most of these characters' arcs. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't see that either. I don't see that either. I don't see that it'll be like a definitive, like, oh, well, Luthen was a bad guy, you know, like he he was yeah. evil. So I don't think it'll be that. But I think, like Sagarera, for instance, you know, uh, it, ultimately, I think Sagarera in Rogue One, you know, like we we end with him being a sympathetic character for sure, and and uh, you know, we feel like he was a like he's someone who took Jin in and he helped her family and he had her best intentions, you know, in mind when he abandoned her when she was 16 or whatever. And like, I think ultimately we were pretty sympathetic towards him, but you know, like that's a character where depending on what story you're watching and how he's being used, sometimes like what star Wars is saying about saw is that no, he is going too far and he's doing the wrong thing. You know, um, those aren't, Tony Gilroy stories, you know? So like, obviously, you know, we can't, <laughs> I'm not saying just cause yeah. like George Lucas did that or Dave Filoni did that or whatever, that, that he will definitely do that. But I think, uh, I think sometimes, yeah, they, they do present characters that are complicated. Um, and sometimes, sometimes the takeaway is like saw was, you know, made the wrong choice or he was doing the wrong thing. And sometimes the takeaway is like, maybe he was justified and, you know, whatever. But like, ultimately I feel like there is some kind of conclusion, you know, even in rogue one with like saw, there was a conclusion with Cassian and Jin and everybody, there was a, you know, it wasn't like the the super didactic and heavy handed all the time, but I feel like I know what the film wanted to say about all those characters and their choices by the time the film is over, you know? So I think, and I, I, I still think this is a different product from even rogue one. Yeah, that it is. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be messier at the end, um, but we'll see. Well, we have 15 minutes left, so we got to yep. uh, we gotta yep. make sure we talk about the other important elements of this episode. Um, one thing. Well, yeah, OK, let's talk about the other elements of this episode. Let's talk about Lonnie and uh, and Luthen now, since we're talking about Luthen at the moment anyway. Um Another thing, watching the episode a second time, it's like, oh, okay, every expression on Lonnie's face when he's talking to uh, Partagas and 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 Deidre and all of them, it's like, oh, that. wow, I'm, re- I'm really reevaluating. Yeah. You know, oh, man. In that room. <laughs> um, did you have, I had no inkling, not even the slightest inkling in, in any way that he was a double agent. Did you have any, uh, were, were you more um, eagle-eyed about that than I was? No, no. Okay. I. I don't think it was like something that was like hinted at or like we were supposed to even be guessing about because like no one's like talking about like, oh, our man on the inside. And then it would yeah. like cut to like a shot of him or something like there wasn't yeah. that kind of like thing. Um, right, right, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. So it was pretty shocking. Um I thought his performance was great. Like that's the case of every single performance in the show. <laughs> bar none. Yep. Even the guy who is like, um, the new prisoner who was being brought down in the elevator or whatever that, you know, made <laughs> that escape possible. Like he, he had like one line or something, barely anything like, you know, died shortly after being introduced. And like, I was like, man, this guy's face and like his performance like expressions. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, he was great. Everybody's great. But, yeah. um, yeah, no, no, Lonnie's like, his performance in that elevator and, and in that, uh, 
that discussion with Luthen was was really great. And uh, so I'm looking, I'm, you know, I think it's going to be super interesting going forward. What happens with him? Uh, you know, obviously, ultimately, he's like, I want out. And, and Luthen's just like, doesn't even entertain it. You know, he's like, first off, you know, you're not getting out. Like, what are you going to tell the ISB? Like, that's not going to work. Number one, they're not going to just let you go. And yeah. I'm not letting you go either, Lonnie. So, <laughs> you know, it was I mean- it was very cold. Even like even before that, when he's just like in the earpiece and mm. Luthen's like, "Yeah, your uh, your child is growing <laughs> up well," like, just man, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, like also like it is kind of like a. I don't know. It's it's so brutal. It's so cold. But like also, I mean, I think Luthen has a point of like what on earth did you expect to happen? Like I mean, yeah. You you put yourself in this situation. You made your bed. Like there's no out of this. Like obviously. And uh, Well, and that, that's that's that made sense. Yeah, and that's totally a reoccurring you know, kind of motif or a theme in the show is how far are you willing to go and people needing to be um, encouraged or reassured or manipulated even um, as far as how willing they're, how far they're willing to go. And we see it constantly, you know, um, all over the place. We see examples of characters being like, you know, and, and, and ultimately it's all, I think it, it culminates, not the right word, but we see it most, clearly and and it's all supporting that same kind of issue with Cassian you know because with Cassian it's like what's he willing to do and for what reasons etc you know and that's like what his really the like the primary conflict I think in the show is going to be at the end of the day it's like you know how far are you willing to go what are you willing to do for rebellion what are you willing to sacrifice um and we, we've seen it so many times with with characters getting cold feet or you know not being sure if they want to you know go through with something or um you know, we even see it with Mon Mothma and, uh, uh, and just, you know, earlier in this scene, like it's a different kind of version of it, I guess. But like, uh, uh the woman that Luthen works with, her name starts with a K. I never remember it. Um, she's like, don't go, don't go to this meeting or whatever. Um, you know, she doesn't want him to do it. And he's like, this is what has to be done. You know, um, if it's a trap, then we've already lost anyway. So I'm still going. So it's just, it's just nonstop. Yeah. There's, there's examples of this. Um, the monologue is out of control, incredible writing. Um, just a few of the standout lines, lines in that, that monologue. I've made my mind a sunless place. I share my dreams with ghosts. I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my eagerness to fight. They've set me on a path from which I can't escape. Uh, this line, uh, outrageous. I yearn to be a savior against injustice without contemplating the cost. And by the time I looked down, there was no longer any ground beneath my feet. I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise I'll never see. Uh, and then really like a crazy, uh, all these lines, every single one are incredible. But this one, the ego that started this fight will never have a mirror or an audience, or the light of gratitude. Calm. Kindness, kinship. Love. 
I've given up all chance at inner peace. I made my mind a sunless space. I share my dreams with ghosts. I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago from which there's only one conclusion. I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my, my eagerness to fight. They've set me on a path from which there's no escape. I yearn to be a savior against injustice without contemplating the cost, and by the time I look down, there's no longer any ground beneath my feet. What is my, what is my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. Now the ego that started this fight will never have a, a mirror or an audience or all the light of gratitude. So what do I sacrifice? Everything! So poetic, just such, such incredible, <laughs> incredible writing. Um, like among incredible the best lines ever. Delivered perfectly. Yeah. Just. Yeah. Yeah. I would say among the best lines of dialogue in any Star Wars thing ever, easily. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and last thing, I guess, uh, last sort of major topic we, we have to talk about here in our last uh, 10 minutes Mon Mothma. Um, and. Davos, I think his name was Davos, right? Uh-huh. I forget his, his full name. Uh, I found this scene completely enthralling, as I do all of them on Mothma scenes. Um, but I always find them so rich and so interesting. And they're always, almost always just conversations, you know, just two, two or three people having a conversation. But I'm completely enraptured by them every time. Um, last few episodes, I don't have many critiques of the show. Actually, this isn't even a critique. I think it's just, it's just the balance. It's just the way you know, what the story needs at the moment. But I do find myself like, oh man, I wish we had one more scene with Mothma or I wish we got a little more Mothma. I, I feel that way usually in the last couple of episodes. But um, yeah, the uh, the fateful meeting with Davos, I, <laughs> I, I he wasn't what Devo. I- ex- Davo. Davo? Okay. I think it's Davo, yeah. Okay, okay. Is it um, like Davos, like an economic forum? Yes, 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 yes. Which, which made me think that that's what it was, but I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, I, he's not what I expected, but he was perfect, I thought. Um, what did you make of him? Yeah, this was, I mentioned earlier that this, um, that I had, a, a, this might be my favorite scene from the whole show. Mm. Um, because this is like a, just un just another level, another layer of complexity. It's like, you know, we're always like reading between the lines of like what characters are saying. And I think like the scene just like exemplifies that so much. Like every sentence is so loaded in this exchange and Mm -hmm. every like reaction has like so much meaning um and it's 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 such a complex situation um it's it's just it's horrible um Mm. the the implications of it um and you know i think this is um i think this is you know mon mothma's first like how far 
will you go moment um of of the show and it's one that like i completely did not expect um and it's it's a whole other kind of ethical dilemma compared to the the other the ethical dilemmas that the other characters are having and it like it parallels those but it's also like you know completely the opposite of those dilemmas but it's you know it's just it's so fascinating the way all of this kind of came together because for a while it felt like mon moth Mothma's story felt um, a little bit detached and removed from the other ones um, because like, yeah, like this is like, hey, this is just another side of like this, you know, bigger picture of the rebellion. But then like we get to this scene and it's like, no, this is still like thematically in line with exactly, you know, what's going on with Luthen, what's going on with Val, what's going on with Cassian. Like, um, like, nope, it's, it, it's all the same like Hmm. theme here. And, um, and yeah. And I think that just like, you know, just made the whole story just feel even more cohesive. Um, and, uh, yeah. What will it cost? My fee. We assume it's a percentage of funds transferred. I want no fee. Money means very little to me at this point. Charity, isn't it? I insist. And I refuse. Please take no offense. I'd prefer not to owe any favors. I'd feel far more comfortable paying you for your trouble. A drop of discomfort may be the price of doing business. Let's have it. I'd like a return invitation. I'd like to come back here at least once. I'm sure that's something that can be arranged. I have a 14-year-old son. I'd like to bring him with me. You can't be serious. I'm not asking for betrothal. And what are we talking about? An introduction. Your daughter's 13. She'll soon come of age. Two young people. Attractive and privileged Chandrillan citizens. What makes you think I approve of that tradition? Our position sometimes makes decisions for us, don't you find, Senator? Neither of us have lived a life that encourages nonconformity. Is that your only offer? I'm afraid so. Tay will see you out. Of course. It's a lot to think about. I'm not thinking about it. That's the first untrue thing you've said. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. So he was, he was like, uh, uh, again, an incredible actor. Um, I, I, in the writing as well, but just the way that he was so in control of that conversation the whole time, you know, um, because she's like from the first second of the meeting, she's very uncomfortable. Um, all, and, and the scene ends with like, when he walks out of the room, she's quivering, she's like shaking, you know what I mean? And obviously that's because of like what he's asking of her. Um, 
but you know, he was, he was so in control cause she, she would say something and like, you know, she's obviously very good at like having a clever or witty reply and sort of using verbal banter to kind of stay on top of things in a conversation. And I felt like he was able to, you know, like he, he wasn't ever shaken by that because he's coming from such a place of, of confidence and arrogance. And, um, you know, uh, so I thought that was like really just watching that unfold. It was like, it was clear from the beginning of that conversation, but as the conversation continued, it became more and more, you know, clear, um, you know, she tells him, uh, you know, I don't want to owe you any favors. I would rather pay you. I'd rather pay you. And he says, um, well, uh, a drop of discomfort may be the cost of doing business. You know, she yeah. like lays it all out. I don't want to owe you any favors. I'm not going to do you any favors. I just want to pay you. And he's like, yeah, well, unfortunately I'm in control. The price. Yeah. A drop of discomfort might be the cost of doing business here. Um, and then, of course, you know, he, he makes a suggestion like um, that what he wants, the price for him is that he can bring his son to meet her daughter. Um, she tells him you can't be serious. He's like, well, I'm not asking for a betrothal. You know what I mean? I'm not saying they have to get engaged. I just want them to meet. But obviously, that's what he that's what he wants. Um, and there was some discussion, too. I don't have the, the lines, but there was some discussion about the Chandrillin uh uh, you know, kind of marriage process, the tradition of that, um, which I was like, huh? Cause one of the things he did immediately to kind of gain control of the conversation is he was like, Oh, I've met your husband before. And she's like, I'm quite sure you have or whatever. And I can't remember exactly, but I was like, okay. So like the indication there is like your husband's involved in things you don't want him to be involved in, or, you know, he's, I mean, just with this guy, like this guy's obviously a criminal or whatever, right? Like he's, uh, he's corrupt. And so like, I know your husband, like that was like a power move right there. Um, but, uh, yeah. Then when he said the thing about the Chandrill and marriage and like, I forget what he said, but it was something about like expectations or like whatever are clear. Everybody knows kind of what's what I was like, Oh man, this is so, so brutal. Um, but then, yeah, I guess because we got to wrap up here, but like the, the last thing was like him leaving and, and he's like, well, it's a lot to think about. And she's like, I'm not thinking about it. And he's like, that's the first untrue thing you've said since <laughs> I've been here. Like, damn, such a good line of dialogue and such an arrogant, but like, he's right. You know, she is thinking about it. She has to think about it. And she's, like I said, she's shaking when he leaves the room. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think she's ultimately going to lose her family. I think her family's going to turn on her one way or the other. Uh, there's no happy ending for her and and that little family there that uh, that she has. Um, but I'm so intrigued to see, you know, what what is going to be the the development as far as this goes with with her daughter and uh, and this dude. Um, I mean, I think she's going to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's kind of obvious, right? She's gonna, she's going to have to do it. Um, even if she didn't want to do it, her husband and her daughter would probably make it happen anyways. You know what I mean? Like once they, I don't know, you know, like if she doesn't want to do it, like, I feel like the husband and the daughter will want to do it even more. And if she does want to do it, it'll still happen, but they'll, you know, the daughter will use that as, I don't know. It's going to be bad for her regardless, but yeah, she's going to have to compromise. Everyone's had to compromise. Right. And she's going to have to compromise. Yep. <laughs> brutal, brutal, brutal. All right, Ryan. Um, we have to wrap the show there if that's okay with you. But, uh, man, two more episodes of Andor left. Um, cannot wait for those final episodes. We will be back to talk about those for sure. Until then, you can find everything we do at blockade runner podcast 
blockadeadvertisement.com. If you want to message the show, um, you can uh, email us, blockaderunnerpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you there. Or you can follow the show on Twitter at Blockade Run. Ryan, you're still on Twitter, right? What's your Twitter handle? Via Malay, V-A-Y-A-M-A-L-A-Y. And as of right now, Twitter still exists. That's right. That's right. Um, all right. So uh, until next time, thanks very much for listening. And we'll be back soon with another episode of the Blockade Runner podcast. We are all the republic.